a man walks into a library and he asks the librarian for books about <coughs> paranoia. She whispers, shh, they're right behind you. <laughs> no? Okay. Want to hear a roof joke? The first one's on the house. <laughs> Why don't koalas count as bears? They don't have the qualifications. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're back in Kings. It's been a while. And we're in chapter 6. And some of this stuff, you know, some of you guys have heard. In fact, we were talking about some of it in uh, Friday's meeting about dreaming with God and how David's dream became God's dream. And uh, in 1 Kings 6, verse 1, it says, In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, which, that's interesting. This is like a, an epoch. This is a pay attention. Do I need to stop? Okay. Pay attention to this time because the building of the temple was a shift and a very important promise that was given before they probably even went into Egypt, but definitely since they left Egypt. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. So it seems like it seems like the old era of God dwelling in tents has ended, and there's a new area, which is the first house of a permanent <coughs> temple of God. However, we know that Jesus came and dwelt among us according to John 1 it might be uh, verse 14 but that word dwelt in the original language in Greek is tabernacled then we have uh, Acts 15 that talks about how God is going to rebuild the tabernacle or tent of David so God actually likes tabernacles uh, in fact I I mean, I could be adding to what is not there, but I think it'd be a little bit sad to be moved out of the tent because, you know, when he was in David's tabernacle, people were able to worship him, you know, freely and face to face, and uh, the sacrifices and the law were observed in the tabernacle of Moses and uh, Gibeon. And here, you know, they had to, he had to be put in this room and only one person once a year was allowed to go in and uh, so I don't know I, to me it just seems kind of like a bummer however uh, when the temple was complete which we'll see God blessed it but I want to review real quick 2nd Samuel 7 1 through 3 and I'm in the English Standard Version it says now when the king lived in his house now this is referring to David and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. Well, that's interesting with your word, Kathy. Uh, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go do all that's in your heart. The Lord is with you. Now, again, the building of the house was <coughs> David's idea. And I can like picture him, you know, like 
walking around his, his palace and maybe enjoying the blessings of the Lord and seeing the beauty of the Lord uh, and what was built. And he's like, well, this isn't right. Here I dwell in this nice home and God's out there in a tent. You know, so I could see, you know, he's like, this isn't, there's something wrong with this picture. Well, the Lord responded to David's idea like any generous, extraordinarily and extravagantly kind father. He said, that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, shall you build me a house in which to dwell? I have not dwelt in a house since I brought the Israelites out of Egypt to this day, but I have moved about with a tent for my dwelling. In all the places where I've moved with all the Israelites, did I speak a word to any from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to be shepherd of my peoples, asking, why don't you build me a house of cedar? So now say this to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I was with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I want to pause. Do you see that? I have cut off all your enemies from before you. If David experienced that in his lifetime under an inferior covenant, how much more authority and reality that should we walk in when it comes to the demonic? Jesus promised persecution. Actually, he didn't promise it. He just said it's going to happen. They hated you or me. They're going to hate you. Okay, so that's a given. But the demonic aspect, and y'all have heard me, one of my pet peeves is I hate when people say I'm under attack because it's the most unbiblical, unscriptural position you could be in because according to the word, the enemy is under our feet. We're crushing him, and on top of that, we're seated in heavenly places. So the only way you can be under attack from the enemy is if you're dwelling in the valley instead of the mountain. And that is all centered in your perception, right? Your perception. If you're living in the valley in your thinking process, that is subject to attack. But if you're dwelling from the mountain positionally, you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but no evil will come near you. So your level, really you can think of it, your perception, your level of fear, your level of doubt, your level of unbelief are all indicators of where your thought life is positioned. Okay? So it's very, very important. So here we got David. God cut off all his enemies. He then said, I will make you a great name like that of the great men of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and be moved no more. And wicked men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And as from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will cause you to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord declares to you that he will make for you a house. <laughs> See, that's, that's the Lord. David's like, I want to make you a house. You need to dwell in a pretty house. And God's like, oh, that, you know, I could care less about that. I'm going to make you a house. I think it's interesting that he runs this by Nathan, which he didn't do when they was moving the Ark of the, of the Covenant. And somebody got killed because he just went and started doing it without really figuring out how yeah, protocol. And why, the yeah. protocol. 
So he didn't take that chance. He learned something. <laughs> <laughs> but then Nathan's like, yeah, it sounds like a good idea to me to go go ahead and do it. Nathan, Nathan, you're supposed to, you, maybe you should ask the Lord real quick <laughs> because obviously it was not going to be David. And we'll find out why in a second. But I love that. It's like he turns it around. He's like, okay, yeah, you want to build me a house. I'm going to make for you a house. Well, you know, and, and Solomon, he said, you know, because you didn't ask for riches, I'll give it to you anyway. You right. Know, he was pleased with With that, the response and the request. Well. Yeah. Now, I want to read this in the Amplified Version for you, uh, verses 12 through 17, because I think it really amplifies it. <laughs> When your days are fulfilled and you sleep with your fathers, I will set up after you your offspring who shall be born to you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for not my name and my presence, because his name is always tied to presence, okay? I'm, and I'm about to show you that. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my mercy and loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took them from Saul, whom I took away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all of these words and all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Now, this is what's called a dual application prophecy. And you see this a lot in the Bible. And it's important to understand sometimes there's an immediate fulfillment that is typically partial. Then there's a future fulfillment that can only be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So here we have a partial fulfillment uh, where Solomon is concerned. And then we have a messianic fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Okay, so I, I want you to keep this in mind because we're going to break this down a little bit. But the main idea is that both David and Solomon established the throne Jesus sets on. Now we know pre-Jesus coming as flesh, he obviously dwelt in heaven. He has a throne. Holy Spirit has a throne. Father has a throne. The throne we're referring to is human government, right? Of the increase of his government, there will, there will be no end. In order for God to empower us to take back the authority that was handed over to the enemy, God had to do it legally. The only legal way for him to take that back was by becoming one of us. Because we, as humans, gave it away, therefore a human had to get it back. So Jesus becomes God in the flesh. He tabernacles, right? So he now sets as Jesus the Christ on the throne that David and Solomon established. And, it, and it study their reigns. You know, like we're, we're obviously studying Solomon, but David's is a, an amazing picture of what um, Jesus Christ uh, does and did. And then we've got in Isaiah 16, 5, it says that a throne will be established in steadfast love. And on it will set in faithfulness in the tent of David one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with righteousness and justice from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Okay, let's go back up to the Amplified. Okay, so he's basically saying, when your days are fulfilled. In other words, David was going to live the fullness of life, which, again, every one of us should. Premature death from sickness, disease, is not in our books. It shouldn't. And so we're supposed to live the last second of the days that God allotted to us. And according to Proverbs, we have a minimum of 75 years. That's a minimum. And so we're supposed to be actively engaged in all of our purpose, all of our destiny, until our dying breath. In fact, Smith Wigglesworth died. He bent down before he's about to go on stage to whisper something to a colleague and fell over dead. That's how he died from the very moment, right? So that's how it's supposed to be. We're involved in the work of God at our last breath. So that's that was David's fulfillment. Then it says, I'm going to set up after you your offspring. The word by it, if I'm not mistaken, Drina, um, help me if I am, means family. But it's also house. So when God said, I'm going to build for you a house, he was saying, I'm going to build for you a family. And that family is going to be enthroned with the one that is coming to execute your government on the earth. Okay? Which is what? <coughs> Ecclesia, right? He then said, uh, I will establish his kingdom. Now, he'll build a house for my presence, and I will establish the throne forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. When he commits iniquity, I will chastise him with the rod of men and with the stripes. Solomon was never beaten with rods, nor did he ever receive stripes. So the only person that he can be referring to here as far as rods and stripes is Jesus Christ. Now, we know Jesus never committed iniquity. However, he became sin for us so that we might become God's righteousness, right? So this is a prophecy of his beating for our peace and his stripes to heal us. We also know that Solomon did misbehave. Therefore, enemies were raised up around him and they began to attack him. Oh, y'all don't know that yet. You'll find out. I'm getting ahead of myself. I have saved like weeks ahead. I was looking, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have like eight weeks already prepared. But we'll see in the future that when Solomon's heart turned from God, all of a sudden he had problems. Now, I'm not saying that if you get attacked by the enemy or any demonic entity, that you're necessarily in sin. The enemy will look for any open door, which can be sin, but also fear or ignorance. If you don't know your authority and you get attacked and you think God's doing it you know, to train you or discipline you or maybe you did something wrong or whatever it is, if you buy into those lies, then you're going to allow the attack of the enemy. But if you take your authority and I bind every attack against my finances, against my body, against my mind, against my relationship, wherever it's being attacked, right? If you will use your authority 
you can stop a lot of the nonsense. However, if it doesn't stop, then know that in the process of the journey that you're going through, you're going to come out with so many weapons that the enemy is going to rue the day that he ever decided to attack you. And I am evidence of that reality. Every single day, I get to use knowledge from past attacks to execute the judgment of God against the devil and to embarrass him, right? So that's what we need to do. That's what we need to overcome so that we have those tools. Okay, so we know that Jesus was the one that was chastened with the rod. He took the stripes. But my mercy and loving kindness will never depart from him as I took them from Saul. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever your throne forever. Now this is fascinating that one man, David, was after God's heart and had a heart like God's so much so that God's like, you know what? I like your ideas. I like everything about you. I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. And we know that Jesus was a descendant of David's. Was it through Mary's line? Might have been through Mary's I, line. I or was it, it through... Both of them. Well, it, it might have been both of them. But, but I, I think, think through Mary's line, yeah. he, he was of the tribe of Judah, which we know, and he was a, a descendant of David. Okay, So he's considered a son of David, which is why they call him that, the Messianic term. Okay, now in Isaiah 53, 5... It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised or beat with a rod for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement needful to obtain peace and well-being for us was upon him. And with the stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. Now, real quick, as I'm sure you can see, Isaiah is referring to a future event as if it is present tense. Y'all notice that? Jesus hasn't come yet. He's not been beaten with rods. He's not received one stripe. Of course, he was slain before the foundation of the world. However, this reality was such a surety. It was so certain. Isaiah saw it in such a way in its present tense form that to him, we're already healed. That's why Peter could take it into a past tense. So a lot of people that are waiting for God to heal them that whole thing right there is off. Because according to Peter, by his stripes you were healed. He was quoting Isaiah. So you already are. Now, the reality and how fast it manifests in your body is determined by the revelation knowledge of it that we possess. So if we don't possess the idea that we're already healed, then, you know, there's a little bit of a journey there. I mean, I remember when I went... Uh, to Navajo Nation. How long did I have? I had a fever for 10 days from the flu. I'm like, this is dumb. I have already supernaturally healed from the flu before. I mean, I had all kinds of victories under my belt. I'm like, what is going on? We've all been there. Where it's like we're in this battle. It's like, how the heck do we get out of this? I have the word. I'm quoting it. I know what it says. I know I believe it. What is the deal? There's usually something going on there that we can ask Holy Spirit about. In my case, what he revealed through a dream that Roberta had was that I just waltz on to the Navajo Nation in a whole new level of warfare 
without the proper prayer covering. And on top of that, delivered a message of wealth, the warfare of wealth, the very first message on that topic I ever delivered to people that don't believe necessarily that they're supposed to have it. So it was like, dirt. So then the Lord's like, never, ever just fly by the seat of your pants into a situation like that. You need to have prayer covering. That was a lesson learned. I learned that real quick. Now, when I got hit with COVID, uh, I was telling them, I said, for two days when you can't breathe, it's like, hey, hey, I can't breathe here. You know, you walk to the microwave, you're all, you're just trying to get your breath. Fear would try to, and I'm like, who cares? First of all, I have a purpose to live, so I'm not concerned. Number two, I'll go to heaven. I, I don't care. I, I'll go to heaven. Now, I'll be a little bit irritated that I didn't finish my purpose, <laughs> you know. Like, man, Lord, I kind of missed the boat on that one. But it, it doesn't matter. And so, all of a sudden, that lifted. I got on Google, communist Google. I like to say that every chance I get so they know what I think about them. And I Googled in there, how do you get your breath back after or with COVID? Go for a short walk. Okay, went for a short walk. Next day, it was like night and day. One of my friends that died recently had a primal fear of dying from COVID. And he did. What you fear comes upon you. Sometimes that's a key. There's so many keys. You know what I mean? There's just so many things that can be going on when we don't have immediate victory. But according to this, he's already given us peace. He's already purchased our well-being. He's already purchased our healing. I also like how the Amplified brings out that he will build a house for his name and his presence. The name is Yahweh. I am that I am. The self-existent one. No beginning, no end. No one created him. He just exists, right? Where he is, is his presence. Now this is one of my favorite scriptures. I absolutely love it because I can, I can picture the whole thing. Let me set up the scenario. And again, y'all have heard this. It's like preaching to the choir. But I love it because I think it irritates the enemy. So the Lord could not be touched. Wherever he went, you know, like if they tried to throw him over the edge of a cliff, he just poof, walked through the crowd. If they tried to do this, poof, where'd he go? You know, it's like they couldn't find him. Or they'd be looking for him and then Holy Spirit would tell him to hide. You know, stay here, don't go out, don't go heal Lazarus, just stay put, blah, 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 blah. So he was a little bit hard to get in their grasp. Well, now the hour of trial has come, right? So the Lord can fill it. So he goes in the garden, he prays. He won in the garden. Where we lost in the garden, he won in the garden. Everything after that was an afterthought. Nothing was going to sway him from carrying his cross because he already won right there in the garden. So he gets done praying. The battle was intense. His capillaries in his face and his skin broke, and so he literally was sweating blood. That's how much pressure he was under. And uh, so he gets up, he chews out, you know, his disciples, like, man, I just asked for an hour, guys, you know. And Judas arrives with 600 men. 600. We have temple guard, and we have Roman soldiers. 600. So the Lord's like, wow. 
Uh, that's a lot of uh, <laughs> soldiers there. Who are y'all looking for? Now we know that he knows who they're looking for, but he always asks questions to help you gauge where you're at, right? And uh, well, we're looking for Jesus and Nazareth. Nazareth. Well, that, that's that's me. But he actually says, "I am." Yeah. Now in the Bible, when we look at this. John 18, 3 through 6, it says, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests of Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said, Whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now Jesus said to them, I am he. And they drew back and fell to the ground. Now notice in your notes that word he is italicized. So what that tells us, he didn't say, I am he. He said, I am. Now, the power behind saying the name knocks these hardened soldiers on their behinds. And they're all, you know, probably trying to figure out. Remember that guy that liked to wear a pentagram to my meetings? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> boy, I saw like a bullseye. I'm like, you know, I don't appreciate that. So we line everybody up. And I can't wait to get to him. <laughs> and, uh, and man, it caused problems too later. Remember, he's all feisty the next oh, yeah. time then got ran over by a truck. He lived. But anyway, so I'm laying hands on people at dinner fire tunnel, and I get my hand right on that pentagram. Yeah. And I'm releasing the power of the Holy Ghost. We get down, he's all, I feel weird. What's wrong with me? And I said, you're drunk in the Holy Spirit. That's the presence of God. I've never felt this way before. Yep. Don't bring no pentagrams into my meeting is what I felt like yeah, saying. Yeah. But anyway, the presence of God is tangible. It's a tangible substance, right? So when he said it, these soldiers drew back and fell to the ground. I love that. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of this prophecy given to David by Nathan. He tabernacled among men. He came from David's lineage. He also established the house of God, which is us. And when he spoke his name, the soldiers fell under the power of God. Oh, here it is. House is bite. And it means house, dwelling, family, temple, and palace. It's used basically to denote a building in which the, a family lives, but it can refer to a family or household itself. Sometimes it means palace or dynasty when employed in the Hebrew phrase house of the king. Now, in first. Peter 2, 4 through 6, it says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, look, pay attention, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So we're now being built upon that chief cornerstone. The cornerstone is the model. It's the one that's first set, and everything else is built based on its position. Right? Jesus came as a man to show us what it was like to be a kingdom, born-again person. Okay? So everything he did, we're supposed to do 
and more. All right, now we're being built up into a, a spiritual house. In Acts 15, 16 through 18, it says, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who make these things known from of old. So the rebuilding of the tabernacle of David is his ecclesia. It's the combination of the throne and the ark of God, his rule and his presence. So if we go back up to this Isaiah, did you notice in Isaiah 65 it says, a throne will be established and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David. So the throne that Jesus Christ sits in is inside the tent of David. We are the tent of David. He's enthroned in us. We are his rod that comes out of uh, Zion. It says, rule in the midst of your enemies. We are that governmental rule. And then it says that he is enthroned in our praises. So praise and worship. What was Judah? They were the praise and worship tribe. They were the first ones into battle. And Judah means as a tribe, they had a sound that terrified the enemy. Didn't you talk about talking? Is that in here? If last year we learned to be silent, what should we be speaking this year? Right now we are seeing fear, hopelessness, and darkness in the world. We as Christians are meant to be different. We should be talking about the Son of God. We are to fill our mouths with His praise and attributes. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We should be speaking and preaching Jesus Christ. That's what Paul did. He didn't talk, talk principles. You know what I mean? He spoke Jesus Christ. That's what we should be speaking. <coughs> Every answer is in Jesus Christ. When God thought of a house, he thought of Jesus and a people. When David thought of a house, he thought of an actual building. Solomon, the building of the temple, became a prophetic type of the future work of the Messiah. The most fascinating point is that the temple was David's idea, therefore David's dream became God's dream. So we see it fulfilled in 1 Chronicles 28, 1-5. Now David assembled at Jerusalem all the, uh, of the leaders of Israel, the officers of the tribes, and the captains of the divisions who served the king, the captains over thousands and captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possessions of the king and of his sons with the officials, the valiant men, and all the mighty men of valor. Then King David rose to his feet and said, now he's old at this time, Hear me, my brethren and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made preparations to build it. But God said to me, You shall not build a house for my name, because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. However, the Lord God of Israel chose me above all the house of my father to be king of Israel, or over Israel forever, for he has chosen jo Judah to be the ruler. And that was prophesying a Messiah. Isn't that interesting? And that's actually in Genesis uh, 49, if you want to read that more. And of the house of Judah, the house of my father, and among the sons of my father, he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. 
and all of my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. And then in verse 6, it says, He said to me, It is Solomon your son who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be uh, his father. Okay, now here's an important key. The house of God must be built by men and women of peace in peace. Now, before you say, oh, well, does that mean we're just doormats? No, because Jesus, the Prince of Peace, said, I come to bring a sword. I'm not coming to bring peace. I'm coming to bring division, right? So there's a difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Sometimes you're willing to have a fight in order to have true peace, right? Sometimes you're willing to have those hard conversations. Sometimes you're willing to confront. Which, by the way, the church better get her act together and start doing this now. We were talking um, yesterday, me and G, to a family member. And he said, you know what's really irritating? When you hear a Christian say, we're not being persecuted. Because they expect persecution to be you're being put to death in the streets. But when you're told to sit down and shut up, and you're told to close your churches, and they start putting you in jail, hello, that's persecution. If we don't stop it now, guess where we're going to end up in this country? People don't think it can happen. Well, we're going to end up in big time trouble. I would recommend that all of you guys listen. Uh, it releases uh, tomorrow to the Black Robe Regiment on my podcast, We the Deplorables, and get an idea of the role that believers played in forming this nation. Every single colony was formed by uh, preachers and pastors. They either helped start it or they were very involved in the process. And if it wasn't for the preachers, if it wasn't for the pastors, there would be no America. If it wasn't for the preachers and pastors, slavery would still be our, the law of the land. So the church, I'm calling forth leaders to once again become a voice for this nation before we lose it. And then all of a sudden, the very thing we love becomes our enemy and starts killing us off. And people are like, well, you're just a little bit too radical. Really? Well, who said the mass was not going to be enough? Who said the vaccine wasn't going to be enough? Who said that, right? Holy Spirit, through us, has been warning people it's about control. It's always been about control. And that's why I have refused to comply the whole time. Because I'm not going to allow people to tell me what to do with my body when I have the Holy Spirit, right? But the biggest thing is it's a government control thing. We know that because you're t telling us you still have to wear them even after you've been vaccinated. They're telling people they have to have the vaccine when you've got the antibodies. This should tell you something. And by the way, it's not a vaccine. It's a gene modifier. So there are things that you're going to be misunderstood about. People are going to think that you're radical. Well, it's about time we get radical, guys. Am I saying to take up arms against our government? No. But I am saying that if we're going to start speaking, we need to start speaking now before it's too late. We got to start encouraging people to vote for people who believe in saving lives in the womb, not ending them. People that believe in free speech and free economy. It's going to be too late if we don't. So the persecution is here. 
So what does that mean for peace? That means sometimes you have to say things that divide in order to have true peace. Because the Prince of Peace also exposes corruption. But when you're building his house, you have to be a person of peace on the inside. Because you cannot impart to you to others what you do not possess on the inside. So David as a soldier and someone who shed blood, which is violence, he couldn't build the house. Now from the original language, I looked this up, it, it applies to his military campaigns because a Hebrew word for war refers to that. But the shed blood aspect speaks of shedding innocent blood, which he did with, was it Uzziah, I think, or Uriah, his, uh, one of his mighty men. So he had both wars and shedding of innocent blood. Now, in 1 Kings 6, 11 through 14 in our text, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Solomon concerning this house that you are building. If you walk in my statutes and obey my rules and keep all my commandments and walk in them, then I will establish my word with you, which I spoke to David your father. And I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will not forsake my people. <coughs> so Solomon built the house, and he finished it. And it must have been amazing. I bet it looked like the sun shining because it was uh, overlaid with gold. Can you imagine the inside? Like it almost had almost like a natural light to, to a degree, but the outside when the sun hit it, I bet it was spectacular. <clears throat> now it was time to take the ark from the tent of David to the temple. Then the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house, in the most holy place, underneath the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark, so that the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside, and they're there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Now, let me hearken back to Jesus. He's been crucified. He's laid in a rich man's tomb that was prophesied in um, one of the, the Old Testament prophets. So he's, his body is laid there, which the Shroud of Turin is a very interesting study if you ever want to say that. But anyway, he's resurrected, so what does he do? Like any good son, he folds his clothes. He doesn't just leave them on the floor. So he folds his clothes. He puts one at the head where his head was, and he puts one at the feet. Somebody, I think it was Mary maybe, shows up to the tomb and sees the angels sitting there. Why were they sitting? Right here. He is now the mercy seat. Right? And so where his body laid, the angels, the cherubim, were covering it. And they were sitting there. And they're like, he's not here. He's been resurrected. You better get yourself back in town because he's going to start showing up to everybody. What? You know, I, I bet it was just an amazing sight. So that is hearkening to that future event. Well, in uh, 2 Chronicles 5, 13 through 14, it gives us a little bit more insight. It says, It was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised, 
with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise of the Lord. Here's what they were singing. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. I think the chorus pleased him, but the unity pleased him even more. Because it's the unity of the brethren that the blessing is commanded, right? So when they did this, here's his response. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. I love that. Hey, did y'all see my post on Facebook of them playing the flute through the mask? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Sean Foots. He quote he put it first on Instagram. It's been shared, but he's like, make it stop. This stuff needs to stop. <laughs> anyway, okay. So God's response was to fill the house. In First Kings eight seventeen through twenty one, he then said this. Now it was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to David my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well. That was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the house, but your son, who shall be born to you, shall build the house for my name. Now the Lord has fulfilled his promise that he made. For I have risen in the place of David my father, and sat on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. And there I have provided a place for the ark, in which is the covenant of the Lord that he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. See, that phrase keeps getting repeated. So, once again, the Lord approved of David's dream and made it his own. Now Solomon is dedicating the temple. And he prayed that no matter where the Israelites were or what they were doing, that every time they would turn toward the temple and pray, God would hear their prayers. Now, uh, the phrase uh, verse 21 and there I have provided a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ is the ark in him is the covenant right okay first uh, Kings 9 1 through 9 as soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build the Lord appeared to him a second time and he said to him, I've heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me, and I've consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My, heart, my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you walk with me, as David your father walked, <coughs> with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, that I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and you do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be ast astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done to this land? And to, well, what, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because 
they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. Now this is very interesting and chilling. And we know Solomon, his heart turned from the Lord before he even finished his reign. If you turn aside from following me, or your descendants do, and you don't keep my command, that I will cut them off and this house. And as we know, that's exactly what happened. Now from this point on, Solomon launched a building expansion project of a place, uh, restoring uh, cities, building new cities, fleet of ships, more houses, and even more than that, using slave labor of all the ites that they had defeated, which would later become an issue that would split up the kingdom. But for now, I wanted to focus on this epoch. This is an epoch. Why did he keep referring to the land of Egypt over and over and over? I'm sure there's many reasons, but the main one is the coming of the Israelites out of the land of Egypt is a picture of us being born again. We're now the temple, individually, corporately, and universally. All believers, we make up the temple. And so when we became born again, we were born from above into the same image of Jesus Christ, we're the enemy's worst nightmare, and we're now supposed to be executing his rule through presence-based leadership in our cities, our families, our states, our counties, and our nation. And that's why it's so important for all of us to be engaged in the marketplace, either through uh, governmental roles, uh, uh, business roles, uh, employment roles, whatever it is, all of us should have a role at some place uh, in the marketplace, the Seven Mountains. Does anybody have anything to add or any thoughts? All right. Oh, did I hear something? Okay. All right. Well, let's pray over our, our tithes and offerings, which is another great way to honor the Lord. Take the uh, mammon that we have earned through his strength and uh, innovation and give it to him. So, Father, we thank you so much for the presence of the Holy Spirit, the great innovator inside of us, who directs our steps, who gives us the power, the ability, the wisdom, uh, the strength to gain wealth. We thank you, Father, that we don't have to sit around waiting for it to come in mailboxes or anything like that, although that does happen. But instead, you give us ideas and you give us wisdom to generate wealth so that we can become a force in the kingdom to extend your rule. So, Father, we thank you for that. And right now, we want to honor Jesus Christ. We also want to state publicly our loyalty to him by giving our tithes and offerings. We do not give our tithes and offerings, Father, under any obligation of the law, except for the law of love. We love Jesus more. And so, Father, we ask that you receive, and Jesus receives, our tithes and offerings where he is seated next to you. We pray that they'll be acceptable. And, Father, we ask that you give all of us in this room wisdom on how to distribute your funds to working believers and to those projects and those tasks that are on your heart. We thank you for that. We give you honor. We give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen.